Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and it's my great pleasure today to have Keith Gessen on the network. I've known Keith for probably 25 years now. Uh, Our paths crossed when I was teaching college, and he was in college, and we both realized that being in college wasn't probably really for us, but (laughs) we stuck it out. And uh, he's been a friend of mine ever since, and I've watched his career grow and blossom. Keith has written books, and Keith has written in a lot of newspapers and magazines, the names of which you probably would recognize. I won't go through his uh, entire bibliography. It would be easy to get, though, if you just type the words Keith Gessen into Google. Google is a search engine in case you don't know, and you will see all of the wonderful things that Keith has written. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thank you, Marshall. Um, Marshall, I I remember uh, listening to your lectures on Russian history um, back when I was in college and just thinking, this is the funniest person I've ever (laughs) encountered Um, on, on, uh, you know, Russian medieval history. It was really... Um, yeah, there's not a lot amazing. of there's not a lot of material there. <laughs> but you you did wonders. Not a, not a, actually, I only know one joke about medieval Russia, one true joke, and it okay. is this. So when I, I don't remember when this happened, but when um, Kiev was Christianized, whenever that happened in the 10th century, uh, they drugged their um, the Christians took Perun. You remember who Perun was? He was the pagan yeah. god, and there was an idol okay. of Perun, and they drug it out of Kiev. Uh-huh. And so uh, the passersby said, oh, my God, my God. That's the joke. <laughs> oh, my God, my God. Get it? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So like I said, there's not a lot of material in medieval Russian history, but I'm glad you appreciated it. <laughs> um, we're here today to talk about Keith's book, Raising Rafi. And Keith, I want to begin by asking you, why did you write this book? Why did I write this book? I was... Um... You know, I, I wrote it gradually, and the, the very first essay I wrote when Rafi was about three, and I had been uh, trying to talk Russian to him, um, which was a somewhat, you know, paradoxical endeavor, because I, so I, you know, I was born in Russia, but I came over when I was little. I spoke Russian with my parents. Um sort of, you know, uh, uh, Russian history and, and sort of Russia has been very important to me, um, you know, but my own Russian is not that great. Uh, and uh, I don't, uh, you know, I still have a, a little bit of family there, but but not that much. Um, but I somehow, I, I decided when he was, when he was, you know, really little that I would try to speak Russian to him. And, and I had, you know, I had mixed feelings about it because I didn't actually want him to go to Russia, for example. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's another story we'll get to that well and and so um you know and it was one of these things that i was doing and 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 then you know when he was when he when he was getting toward three it started actually 
becoming interesting because it was clear that he could understand me. And, and I had actually, you know, kind of taught him Russian to an extent. And um, so I, I was like, oh, this is kind of an interesting dilemma. Should I keep speaking Russian to him? Why have I been doing this? Um, I started reading up on bilingualism and there was a lot of interesting stuff around bilingualism about, you know, whether it's good for you or bad for you. And it turned out these debates kind of went back to Ellis Island and, um, you know, arguments over, you know, immigrants. Uh, are immigrants dumb? <laughs> um, that was, that was a, a debate that the, uh, we used to have here in the United States, or I, I suppose we, we are still having it. Um, so anyway, so I, I and and um, and then I, I found this uh, German linguist who who had written this four volume uh, work in the uh, '40s about teaching his daughter German while living in the United States. Um, uh, and anyway, it just it, it kind of came together. I, I just found it to be a really interesting subject and also something that I was going through myself. So I kind of wrote that uh, essay um, and published it. And 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 I thought, OK, well, that was that was fun. Um, and then I, I didn't think I would write any more. And then it was, came time to find a school for Rafi. And so I was in, you know, I live in Brooklyn and in Brooklyn, we are kind of cursed with this problem of like, you can, you can, you can go to your zone school, but you can also figure out a way to not go to your zone school. And, and, and I just started going on these tours and I just found it so fascinating. Um, and it felt like something I hadn't really seen written about in, in, in quite the way that I was experiencing it. So um, I wrote an essay about that. And it, it, it just seemed like I kept encountering these things that had to do with parenting, uh, which I hadn't seen described, at least not in the way that I was um, experiencing them. And I, I you know, and I kind of wanted to uh, write them in, out and also, you know, as a, partly as a way of just like getting in touch with other people you know, and having these kind of discussions with them. Um, after I wrote that Russian, uh, teaching him Russian essay, I got all these emails from people who had, you know, experienced, you know, a, a guy who from Turkey who uh, was lived in Sweden, but he was teaching his son German. And it was just, it, just people had such a, a vast uh, variety of experiences with parenting and, and kind of like entering that stream of conversation about it, I, I, I found really... Um, kind of fun and interesting. And, and so, yeah, so I just kind of kept writing the essays um, until there were enough of them to, to put into a book. Put into a book, yeah. Um, I should also say that this book is a little bit unusual in the sense that it's written from dad's perspective. My, mm -hmm. my impression is that most of these sorts of books are memoirs of being a mother. Is that incorrect? Is that right? Oh, that's true. That's very true. And um, uh, there's a lot of really good memoirs by mothers. I mean, really excellent um and and in different ways uh um and the dad books are pretty thin <laughs> yeah and yeah. and they tend to be um they tend to be either like very self-satisfied like i am such a great dad and um i am you know i'm not like these other dads i'm a feminist dad that's kind of one genre of book um or they tend to be kind of like i'm a dumb dad Look at look at dumb dad. Um, I am helpless and stupid. Um, and yeah, and in in my own kind of looking at those books, and then like kind of looking around at like the dads I knew, the, the truth was somewhere in between. Like we were kind of we weren't idiots, um, and but we also weren't like such great dads. <laughs> right. And you know we were clearly inferior. You know for the most part, you know not as good parents as our wives, and um, weren't doing as much of it as our wives. Um, and, uh, you know, I, so it did seem like there was a kind of um, space in that literature for an account of a dad who was kind of doing his best and and uh, um, figuring it out as he went along. Well, if you do care, you muddle through. I mean, I, I have three kids and I've mm -hmm. been through some of what you've been through. And I remember that at the end of every day when everybody was asleep, that was the only moment in which I felt like I'd done my job. Okay. I, I did it today. <laughs> Once they go <laughs> One to sleep, day at a time. That's a nice moment when they go to sleep. And yeah. 
did you feel like you were becoming um, a better father as as you had you know subs you know, no, no. I, I, I don't really <laughs> and and that's largely because they were and one of the things that surprised me about having three kids is 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 how different they all are mm -hmm. is that the lessons that were I was that I learned from number one didn't really apply very well to number two and they don't apply to number three because they are all very different and uh, I don't know maybe my experience is unique in this way but my kids are all very differently configured and had different needs and wants. And so I found myself adapting to each one of them. They would tell me what they wanted and needed. And I would, I was flexible enough to actually do what they wanted and needed. And, and, uh, and that, that, that learning process was sort of frustrating. I mean, very early on, I mean, this is an interview about you and not me, but I, I mean, I just simplified things to, to the point where I said, if they're, uh, if they're crying or angry, they're hungry. <laughs> that was pretty much all I had. Um, and, and getting them to bed involves singing to them and reading to them. That's mm -hmm. it. Right. Or wander or walking them around. I had other people, other friends of mine would put their kids in cars and would drive them around. Maybe this is a Midwestern thing. No, put them yeah. in the car, they tend to nod off. Yes. I, I, we, we, I did that with Rafi when he was refusing yeah. to nap at a certain point. But, but I, I don't think I got any better at it. Um, I think I got more used to it, yes. um, but but not any better at it. But let's talk a little bit about the, Wait, the. Can I just say something about that? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, you know, I think I mean that part of part of like, you know, part of what the book is about is is just trying to figure out. You know, you read these. So I, you know, I I was a unprepared dad, right? I don't know how you felt. When, when you, like, I'm I just, prepared. I just felt like I, I really, and it, you know, in contrast to Emily, my wife, like, I felt like she had thought about this, uh, a certain amount, right. Before, before we had a kid and, and I really hadn't, um, I really had not. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that, you know, and, um, I just hadn't. And, and so it took me a while to figure out, but so, but you know, and one of the ways that I try to figure things out is I read books, right. So I kind of very earnestly, if we were having a problem, I would like go and read a book. And so you read these books that are like, well, here's how you parent. And, and you know, you parent by uh, either, you know, you, like, and they have different philosophies. So some of them are like you parent by listening really well and, and sort of mirroring your kids' emotions. Mm -hmm. And others are like you parent by, you know, using science of the science of behaviorism, which, which tells you that, you know, you must not respond to certain, you know, to certain stimuli or, right. you know, and you're conditioning them, you're conditioning them like, <laughs> like in a, a yeah, Skinner sort of way. <laughs> yeah. Well, like they're little animals, you know, that, that, um, and, 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 and I found like, I was like, I, yes. And each book that I would read, I'd be like, yes, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go put that into practice. Cause that's correct. Um, or it sounds like it'll work. And, and I found, you know, both, both to what you were saying, like, you know, with, with we have two kids um, and they're very different and what worked with one doesn't work with another. Um, but also I found that I myself was incapable of doing some of these things that I was being asked to do in these, by these books. I'm just like, not a very frankly empathetic person. Like that mirroring, it's just not my strong suit, you know? And, uh, and, and so, you know, so like the, and I don't know that I, like I've become like a slightly better parent and it, part of it has been just like figuring out what I, you know, like what was within the range of my personality to, to do. Yes. And, um, and then tr trying to do kind of the, the best version of that. Um, well, I think you make a, you make a very good point. And I, and I encountered this too. I read those books and I found myself unable to follow the program Yeah, because I was dis dispositionally unable to do it. Yes. I mean, and you know, one of them is like, don't reward your kids for bad behavior. Well, that's just not the way I'm constructed, really. I, I'm very empathetic. And, and like uh -huh. when they start crying and stuff, like I, they just have me. Right. Like they just have me, man. Like I will do anything for them. And the parenting books, I'll tell you, don't do that. Or some of them do. And, yeah, yeah. and so, you know, or you put them in timeout and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put you in timeout for five minutes. And two minutes goes by. I'm like, okay, you're out of timeout. Yes. <laughs> I, I just couldn't really do it. I, I couldn't be that. I just wasn't dispositionally just me as Marshall. I, I'm just not very much of a disciplinarian. And, and, uh, I, you know, have I warped my kids in some way? I, I don't know, but at a certain point, and I think this is your point, you have to accommodate your own personality. 
Yeah. Like what you can do. And, you know, I could do certain things. Like I was, a, I was a grind about it in the sense, like I always fed them and I changed them and I did all the things that, you know, the quotidian things that you have to do. But when it came to kind of the Skinnerian manipulation of their minds, mm, yeah. uh-uh. I just know. And even today, I, I can't really do it very well. Um, my uh, ex-wife is much better at it, mm. thank God, but not me. Um, I really, you know, and it's not like I wanted to be that fun dad who wanted to do everything. I, I didn't. I'm out, I was very selfish with my time. Um, but I was, you know, punishing them. I, I don't want to punish my kids. Right. And also, you know, there's a kind of generational thing here because I went the way I was raised, there was, uh, there was the option of corporal punishment mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. used. Uh, mm-hmm. And that just wasn't on the table. I mean, that, that is not, I mean, I'm not even going to get into the debate of whether it should be or not, but in, in our family, it was not on the table. Yeah. I, uh, my, um, you know what a podzatilnik you know is? No. It's, um, I was, you know, I was, as I was kind of writing this book, I was like, did I, did, you know, was, did my dad ever, you know, kind of like put his hands on me? And like, you know, I was like, no, of course not. But then there's a thing in Russian called podzatilnik, which is like where you kind of just hit somebody on the back of the head. Yeah. And um, cuff I think, somebody. I think the English is to cuff somebody. Cuff on the back of the head. Yeah. yeah. Cuff them. And yeah. My dad did used to do that. Like just, just once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and not even like when he was mad at me, it was just like, or when I was being annoying or something. Um, yeah. You can't do that anymore. I, I mean, one thing I talk about in the book, which I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about, like, um, you know, my dad was a, was Russian um, and, you know, in pretty traditional, not like, not like an extreme Russian like not a very aggressive Russian person by any means, but like a, you know, like a kind of silent dad who, who didn't say a lot and kind of, um, you know, worked all the time. Uh, and um, in the book, I talk about this conversation I had with him about, um, you know, my, uh, my second grade teacher, I was, I was, I had this wonderful second grade teacher and I, I, uh, I, you know, while writing this book, I called her up and like interviewed her and I was talking to my dad and I said, dad, do you remember my second grade teacher, Miss Lynch? And he said, no, of course not. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, you must've, you must've met her at like the parent teacher conferences. And he just kind of laughed and he said, no, no, I was at work. And, and I was like, what, a, you know, what a strange thing. Like, I, to, to me, I also have a job, but like I go to all the parent teacher conference. I, I find them fascinating and important. Like I would never miss a parent teacher conference. Um, but for my dad, it was just kind of like not a thing that he would do. Um, and, you know, so I, I do feel like there's this generational difference also of just being kind of like a more involved dad in your in your kids lives. Right. For, you know, yeah, for I, I, are, I mean, there, there definitely is. And it, similarly with my father, he never went to any sort of parent teacher anything. Right. There was no question of it. And even my mom didn't like these things because <laughs> my, my mom was a junior high school teacher. Oh, okay. And the <laughs> philosophy that she instilled in me was, is that teachers are in loco parentis. Like right. it's their deal, man. It's not yours. <laughs> and so you shouldn't be messing with that. Uh-huh. Let them Very do wise. the work. Yeah. Yes. And yes. anything you do is going to interfere with their work. As and I still right. kind yeah. of believe that. Mm-hmm. I, I do. Mm-hmm. I have been to many parent-teacher conferences and things like this. But I'm always of the mind that you should let the professionals do their work. Yes. And yes. they're the professionals. And yes. it's their I, classroom. I, I and so it's. Yeah. It, I'm very hands-off when it comes to what they do. I, I, I just, you know, I tell my kids, look, you have to do what the teacher says. And don't. I, I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to hear it. You do what the teachers say that you should do. And that's, that's the deal. Like good advice. That's good advice. But yeah. yeah, but so, but I, you know, but for me, so the question is like, okay, we are, we are, and like, you know, we are, is like kind of, you know, fathers who are, you know, fathers of kids around now, right. People are kids now. Right. And um, so, so we're not like our fathers and I feel like future generations of fathers will have advanced beyond where we are. Right. And we're kind of this like transitional generation. That, uh, that's very know, optimistic. I'm not sure I believe that, but go ahead. Really? Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I see, I see these kind of young people coming up and they just have different ideas about gender. They aren't like as yeah. kind of trapped in some of the gender roles. Um, and we like, I just feel like I am like cognizant of gender roles, uh, but still sort of pretty, pretty firmly entrenched in mine. 
Um, and I see, I see a future where that's less the case. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's, I think that's right. My, my kids are being taught things that I definitely was never taught about the way the world is. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with that because it's going to be their world to improve or mess up and I'm not going to be in it. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I do trust teachers very much. I think that they're mm-hmm. professionals. Again, my mom spent her whole career as a junior high school teacher and she was really good at it. And uh, she was kind of a disciplinarian in the classroom. And I tell my kids, you know, look, what they say is, as far as you're concerned, the truth. <laughs> Later, when you're in college, you can debate and stuff, but not now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not interested in in hearing back talk. What we used to call back talk about teachers. Uh, they yeah. they they are the uh, kings and or queens or whatever you want to say of their roosts, and that's the deal. I, I am. I, I want to shift gears just a little bit. I am interested mm-hmm. to hear what you had to say about bilingualism because your experience was so different than mine. I, I'm from Kansas. I don't think I heard a, spe- a person speak a foreign language until I got to college. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and the idea that you would learn a foreign language is like, what? why would you do that? Like, <laughs> what's the point in that? So did this cause you a certain amount of agita or angst? Oh, it, it, you mean speaking speaking Russian to Russian? Yeah. Um, I mean, it did in this, I mean, not certainly in Brooklyn, like when you're on the playground, you hear Spanish, French, Hebrew, you know, yeah. occasional Russian. Um, so it's, it's uh, very... Uh, obviously very multicultural, multilingual. Um, It it caused me like, you know, yeah, sometimes Rafi, you know, I wasn't sure he understood what I was saying. Yeah. Um, And, you know, his mother did not always understand what I was saying, right? She doesn't speak Russian. Um, So sometimes I would say something and then she would either like repeat the thing, which was kind of great. (laughs) Sometimes she'd say the opposite thing, right? Rather than be like, can I have a candy? And I would say, no, you cannot have a candy until you do this. And Emily would say, yes, you can. You know, but then you also you also have the once Rafi understands what you're saying, then you also have the kind of mixed option of a code that mom yes. doesn't understand. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, true. We have not, we haven't gotten to the, the point of that kind of conspiratorial, but you know, like, and, and he went through, he went through different phases of, um, you know, for a long time, he, he would say, don't, you know, he was embarrassed. Yeah. Um, one time he came up to me, this is like about a year ago, he came up to me in the playground and he whispered in my ear, he said, I always wondered what it would be like to have a data who spoke English. Oh, man. And I was like, I was just so, I was like, wow, that's so hurtful. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like I've deprived you. And right. like, you know, and it, and it was, and I also felt fake a lot of the time. Cause like my dad, you know, sp- spoke Russian to me. Cause like that was his native, like he felt much more comfortable in Russian. Yeah. Right? It was his Muttersprache. Yeah. I feel more comfortable in English, frankly. And like, but I mean, I like speaking Russian to them. Um, speak Russian to, to his, brother too. But um, yeah, so I did, I had mixed feelings and also like mixed feelings, as I mentioned, like just about this particular language and this particular culture and this yeah. particular history that I was like, mm, do, you know, not indoctrinating, but introducing him to, right? Um, I would have, I, you know, I, I, like, like Spanish would be a lot more useful. Yeah, it really <laughs> and, would be. You know, and uh, <laughs> an Italian would be a lot more beautiful and like yeah. any of these places would be nicer to visit, right? Um I remember, I remember the first time I went back to Russia when I was in college and my dad was like devastated, you know, cause, cause uh, right. my, uh, my older sibling was already there. Yeah. What are you and doing? I was going and he was like, <laughs> I, did I really just lose both my kids to, to, <laughs> to like this place this, that I left? That I left, that I really worked really hard to leave? Get out of? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, you know, I, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I thought that was interesting. Like I, it is interesting. That way. It is. Uh, it just, it's, it's just a, a couple of anecdotes. One is when I was in college, I visited this a friend of mine. Um, she was of Russian descent and her mother was Russian and she had a brother and I, I spent some time in their home and it was so fascinating to me. I was learning Russian at the time, but the son the daughter and mother would speak Russian together. The son refused absolutely to speak Russian, but he understood everything. So they would have these conversations where she would speak Russian and he would respond in English all the time. That's oh, that's that's what we have. I mean, that's my I speak Russian, they answer in English. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and it is it is it's bizarre, and you know, and I keep I I was hoping you know I kept having this 
you know, I was like, ah, we'll go to Russia this summer, you know, and then like when he was four, I was like, eh, I'm not quite ready to take him to, it's just because, you know, like Moscow is like a little scary. It's like this giant city, yeah. weird things happen there. Um, so I took him to Georgia, actually. <laughs> um, and it's the obvious choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's near Russia. And I, you know, and like people, you know, older people speak Russian there, but then he like made friends with some kids and they didn't speak Russian. They spoke Georgian. Yeah. You know, one of the kids spoke, spoke a little bit of English. So Rafi kind of communicated with them in English. Um, and then actually this summer I was hoping to take him to Russia and I'm not going to do that now. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, it's been, it's been, um, you know, I think, you know, for him to actually learn Russian. Yeah. Uh, another, another anecdote, which may give you mm -hmm. some hope is that, uh, a friend of mine, he has a, a, a Russian wife, mm -hmm. um, and he also speaks Russian. And so in their home, Idina really tried to, to teach that this kid Russian and, and he kind of got to the position you were where she would speak in Russian, he would answer in English. And then according to my friend, suddenly uh, this young man is like 16, 17 now. He heard this young man in his room speaking in Russian, like a lot. Wow. And so he goes, it's like, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm playing this massive multiplayer game. And everybody is <laughs> Russian. So finally my Russian is useful. <laughs> uh, great. Great. I mean, that's, um, that. yeah. I mean, Rafi, uh, for his... It was for his sixth birthday, what he really, or maybe it was, for, no, it was for Hanukkah this year. He really wanted a um, Nintendo Switch. Oh, yeah. I know all about Nintendo Switches. And yes. <laughs> I was so opposed to this. And I was like, you know, the last thing we need is this other, like, screen for him to be really involved with. But Emily's like, don't, you know, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And he finally gets this Nintendo Switch and he, and he starts playing this game called Animal Crossing. Yeah. Which required uh, just like it's like this, you know, it's you, it's this role playing game, but it requires this a ton of reading. It turned out, yeah. And he learned how to read. Yeah, there you go. He yeah, how to read from the yeah. Video game, yeah. So. No, that's yeah, that's that, that that's interesting because my my daughter learned how to read by watching subtitles. Because when I watch TV, I, I keep the subtitles on because I've played in rock bands and I don't hear very well. Amazing. <laughs> so she's like learned how to read by watching subtitles. Great. <laughs> Great. Um, I was like, wow, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I guess it's bad that I was watching TV with my six year old kid, but I was okay. and I do. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I can understand. It's so different from my experience because, as I say, where I grew up, you just didn't ever hear foreign languages. It, w it wasn't a thing. And there wasn't any, it just wasn't a thing at all. Um, I want to talk about a couple of other things. One is, and this may be, uh, well, you have a chapter called Love and Anger. And I, I I was always very interested about when I got angry at my kids and, and what I did with that anger. Cause I remember what my father did and he would hit us mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that was out. Um, yep. and I'm not a big shouter. I don't, I don't shout. Um, but I would get really angry. I mean, really angry. And, mm. and I would, I would, I would call it manhandling them. You know, <laughs> I would pick them up and make sure mm. they couldn't move. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was very, it was scary for me. It was because yep. I was yep. so angry yep. um, and, and I'm not quick to anger. Uh, but what did you do with yours? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's the angriest, uh, certainly. Yeah. The angriest I've been I, I, that I can remember is you yeah. know, Rafi when he was mostly when he was messing with his little brother who was a baby, you know, and he just like wouldn't stop. And, um, I mean, I did the, the, I described this in the book. I slapped him on the wrist one time, Yeah. you know, and he, I, you know, and it was like a literal slap on the wrist, but I slapped him hard because he just was like messing with his brother who was like three months and like really like pulling on his head and wouldn't stop. And, um, but he, he said, dad, it hit me. That was his kind yeah, of, yeah, right. You see that. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. <laughs> he ran down and got his mom and said, dad, it hit me. Right. Um, and yeah, but I mean, other times, yeah, it was just, I, I, you know, sometimes I would like. I would like hiss at him. <laughs> he would like, you know, he would, it would be very frustrating because he would be misbehaving after Ilya, his brother had gone to sleep. And, you know, finally, we finally got his brother to sleep. And then Rafi's like causing a ruckus, but you can't yell at him. So I'd be, right. be this hissing that would, you know, emit from me. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly like, and it's, and you're like, why am I so angry? Is it, is it the particular thing that he's doing? Is it the fact that, uh, I am, I've asked him not to do this thing and he's old enough, right? He's three, he's old enough to know that I, I don't want him to do it, but he's doing it anyway. So it's this like, uh, challenge to my authority. Uh, is it also like some, some fear that this is like, your kid's just going to be like this forever, Right. Like you have this, you know, like you just, you start, you're like, oh, is this my kid? Like, he's just going to be this jerk for the rest of his life. Um, so that kind of gets like, you know, and, and then like, what about like, and then you're like, I'm a, I'm a terrible parent that yeah. I have, that I, that I, my kid's like this. Um, you know, and like, I, I don't know, that was like, that was the hardest period when after, so Rafi was three when his brother was born and three, as I've now learned from his brother, who was like a little angel until he, the day he turned three and became a little scamp. Yeah. Um, that's a tough age. So it was like the baby was born. So we had this like really kind of vulnerable being in the house. And then Rafi was at this tough age. And that year was really hard. And um, that was when I read the most books. <laughs> <laughs> I was just constantly reading books to try to figure out. Um, and like, you know, and, and none of them worked as we've discussed. Yeah. I just couldn't quite do any of those things that they were asking me to do, or like they just didn't work with Rafi. And finally I read this book from like the fifties that was just this kind of, I guess now I know a pretty standard book of kind of um, developmental psychology, but it was really well done. Um uh, Ames and Ilg, I think, were the authors. Um, they were students of this guy Gessel, um, Arnold Gessel, um, uh, who, who just they just kind of observed, you know, thousands of kids, and they had these little observations, and they had these like cute little things that kids say at particular ages. And basically, the kind of the point of the book was that kids develop in these very predictable ways, yeah. and they will, you know, and like a lot of the thing, you know, and they they and they fear something I, I kind of had never heard from anyone else is like kids at, at this age fear loud noises. Right. And yeah. like, and I was like, wow, like Rafi is, it's frightening to him, you know, when I'm like, get mad and I yell, you know, and he just, you know, and it, it's kind of like really, I guess it like put me in touch with his subjectivity a little bit more than I had been, you know? And I was like, ah, oh, he's this, he's this little monster but he's a kind of independent little monster and yeah. afraid of a lot of things and he's kind of going through a lot of turmoil with regard to his mother that hadn't really understood and but most of all like it was the message that i got from that book which i found really helpful was like he will change <laughs> yeah he will older than this he'll kind of grow out of this and he did and and his his misbehavior continued in, in different forms but they weren't quite as infuriating um as the forms they took when he was three. And, um, yeah, I mean, I still, you know, I kind of was, it was interesting. I wrote that essay and like, and I hadn't, that was a thing that I really hadn't seen described, um, yeah. was just like being an angry parent and, yeah. and trying to like, just trying to manage that and, and, you know, where that's coming from and what brings it out and how can you like get better at it? And I really, I remember like being like, I'm never going to get mad at him again. I'm never going to get mad. Yeah. At him. Good luck with that. Yeah, and then like two days would go by, I'd be like, yeah. oh, I haven't got mad at him in two days. It was like this of an accident, you know, factory accident, no accidents yeah. for you know right. two days, and then um, you know, then he'd do something yeah. and get mad again, and like we'd go back to but zero. Um, I remember very yeah. well when Isaiah, uh, who's the oldest of them, he was about seven, mm -hmm. and it was right about then that he clearly understood quid pro quo, mm -hmm. like he got it that if he would do what I asked, something good would happen. Because prior to that, he did not understand this at all. He showed no evidence of understanding this. He just did whatever he wanted <laughs> without regards to the consequences. But once he got into the quid pro quo mentality, I just used that like a lever every chance I could. And I still do. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Very, yeah. like, if you do this, then this good thing will happen to you. And he yes. gets it, right? He gets it. <laughs> and yeah, I told I like uh, some would call that a bribe. Yeah, I would call it a bribe. Yes, and you know, and that was that's one of those things that where like when when um 
you know, when with Rafi, I was like, and in this way, I feel like I have become a better parent where like with Rafi, I was like, I, I don't want to do bribes. I'm not doing that. Like, you know, then he's just going to want bribes all the time. And we have to, you know, he needs to do the right thing through some like inner Kantian uh, desire to do the right thing. And um, with his brother, I'm like, here, be like, if you do this, you can have a piece of candy. <laughs> Yeah, right. No, I, yeah. <laughs> let's just get to it, right? Let's just let's just cut to the chase. Um Yeah, it's uh it's challenging. But you know, on the other hand, his uh sister, Miriam, still I think she gets the quid pro quo, but she doesn't like it. Mm. She's very she likes to argue with me about things like, Well, you say school is my job, why don't you pay me? <laughs> 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 yeah, so you need a I'm like, strategy. yeah, that's that's an interesting rhetorical strategy, and I see where you're coming from. I do, um, but <laughs> there's this other thing, uh, and you have to have longer conversation. But she she likes to argue. She lo- likes yeah. to argue, and she's you know once they discover hypocrisy, especially mm-hmm. Miriam, boy, they are all over that. Like they remember everything you've ever said. They will shove it right back in your face. Whereas Isaiah's just kind of go along and get along. Yeah, sure. People are hypocrites, whatever. Mimi, man, she, she really, yeah, she loves to point out all the hypocrisy that's involved. And uh, I think she'll make a good lawyer someday or journalist or something. Um, But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I also want to talk to you about, again, this is the reason I'm interested in it. It's because it's so distinct from my own experience, but both with my kids and with me, and that is choosing schools and where to go to school. Where I grew up, there was just the school. And you sent your kid to the school. And that was that. <laughs> like There wasn't any choice of schools. You just went to the school because that's mm-hmm. the school. Mm-hmm. So what, what mm-hmm. was it like for you? And again, I don't know very much about Brooklyn or what it's like in New York, but is it vexing or like... Yeah, well, I mean, so the that you know, I, I guess I think of that essay. There's a, there's a journalist named Nicole Hannah Jones. I'm sure you you know yeah. who that is. And um, she had just so she wasn't like world famous at the time, but she just published this when Rafi was one. And I like, you know, in in, in Brooklyn, you like start thinking about this stuff pretty early. <laughs> so right around when he was one, um, uh, she published this this uh, this major piece in the New York Times Magazine called "Choosing a School for My Daughter in a Segregated City." And she lived, um, you know, she lived in the same kind of part of Brooklyn that I lived. And it was all about, you know, a kind of history of school segregation in the United States, but in particularly in, in New York. Um, and she just talked about what it was like for her to try to figure out where her daughter goes to school. And, and I read that and I was like, okay, um, you know, this situation is really messed up. I mean, one of the things that Nicole Hannah-Jones discovered in her reporting is that schools, um, you know, desegregated for a while and then they've been resegregating. Yeah. I did not know. And that's just mind boggling. Right. So like the high point of of desegregation in American schools was in the 1980s. And since then, for various reasons in the South, um, the court mandate, the court ordered mandates have have been either lifted or or ignored Um, in the North. There were no mandates. Right. So like, um, Schools are resegregating, and in New York schools are super segregated, which is crazy, right? Because New yeah, York is, crazy. is a, is a yeah. very diverse city. So how is it possible that these schools are segregated? And the answer is, well, actually, like neighborhoods are not that integrated. You have these very wealthy, yeah. gentrified neighborhoods, and then you have these poor neighborhoods where people of color live. And um, and we were in this like gentrifying neighborhood, and it was you would think that it would actually be pretty easy to just like find a school that's like normal and like has all kinds of kids in it. And that would be that. Um, And then, you know, and then like I'd started visiting these schools and some of them, they were just all, you know, some of them um, were, were really in trouble and like, um, you know, had, had lost a ton of enrollment uh, over the years and, uh, you, you know, and, and the, the kids, you know, and, and they lost enrollment because um, the parents of the kids who used to go there were getting pushed out, priced out of the neighborhood, right? right. Um, 
you know, a lot of the kids who were going there were, were uh, from homeless families, right? And so they were, they were living in shelters. Um, wow. I, I happened to visit one of these schools on like a really cold day. And the, the parent coordinator who was giving us the tour was like, yeah, when it's really cold out, it's just like too much of a hassle for these parents to get their kids to school. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, okay, that's, um, you know, that would be a school where if we were really – uh, committed to this project, we could, you know, we could bring uh, what we have, you know, our kind of resources to the school, right? Yeah. But, but then I was like, you know, then I would look at like our lives, <laughs> and and I, you know, we like barely get Raffi to like daycare, you know, right. on a, in a timely fashion, and I'm like, I don't know if we are actually like a um, an asset yeah. <laughs> to any kind of school. Um, you know, and Rafi at this point was going through like this really difficult phase and I'm like, yeah, really? Like, uh, yeah, like we're white, but like, I'm not sure that, uh, we would be helping the school a lot. I'm not sure that, but also like, frankly, I'm not sure that we have the capacity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, then like the school that we were actually zoned for was this weird situation where, um, you know, it was a diverse school, but like it seemed like the principal really wanted the gentrifiers to come to the school. Like he was like, that was like the tour was really kind of geared toward these, you know, white upper middle class parents. And that felt uncomfortable. Like, like he was really, you know, reaching out to the white parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, he was, he was a white principal. And, and I was like, ah, you know, it doesn't feel right either. And so like, I, so I started like, just like, I'm like, okay, I need to find the perfect school that like, you know, is diverse. Um, so, you know, it isn't like, I'm not committing a, a political crime by sending my kid there, but also like, um, you know, is a, is a, is a pretty good school. Right. Um, and, and I didn't, I didn't have a lot of information going. Anyway, it was, it was this, uh, kind of perfect storm of my own, like wish to kind of perfect this process yeah, uh, and like this situation where you could kind of game the system if you had enough time and, and resources. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, in retrospect, I should have just, we should have just gone to our school that we were zoned for and that school would have been fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting it, hearing you talk about it because it just, it, when I was growing up and this is also true, even today, my kids in Northampton, which is a small community in Massachusetts, there just isn't a lot of, there was never any talk about good schools and bad schools. Uh, they mm-hmm. were just schools and yeah. they were all integrated because uh, we had busing and mm-hmm. there was, people did change schools, but they only changed the, it's funny, people would change schools because particular coaches were at different schools. <laughs> like my very good friend, Carl Papke went to South because there was a coach there, a basketball yeah. coach who was supposed yeah. to be really great. Yeah. Right. And so he went to South uh, and he went on to play college basketball and so on and so forth. But there was none of this talk about like, Oh, that's a good school. That's a bad school. This school has this kind of people in it. That school has those. Yeah. Kind of, there were religious schools. Like you go to the Catholic school, but it, it just, it just wasn't something that we ever talked about. And we don't talk about it here in Northampton either. It's just, they go to school school yeah yeah no and i mean it's just uh, it's, it's it's kind of an expression of like the inequality in in new york yeah. and um and yeah and we got like swept up in it which i really regret like i really i really wish i hadn't well it's an additional trying. burden for sure it's it's really well, well, quite but also, a burden we really should we should have just gone to that our school our zone school yeah. you know and but i was i was trying to like perfect i was really trying to like thread the needle yeah right um, get the optimal and, result Sorry? Get the optimal result. Yeah, yeah. I like you know, from from both like a kind of political, you know, from like a diversity standpoint and this like other like just like you know having a school that's like well organized and stuff. And we love our we ended up, you know, we love our we love our school. It is very it is those things that I had hoped for. Like yeah, that's great. Very diverse. But I mean that that like I I now see that that was the wrong thing to have done. You know. Yeah. So Uh let's let's uh, talk a little bit about COVID. I, I, mm-hmm. I again, from my experience, this was very traumatic for me because I, I, I um, well, they kind of put my cards on the table. I did not really think they should close any schools uh, mm. because I thought, and I could be wrong, but this was a tremendous burden on kids mm-hmm. in favor of people who lived good lives already. 
Uh, mm -hmm. and, and those people are wonderful too. But the idea to me of closing schools, I, I just couldn't understand it. Okay. <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah. I, we did uh, homeschool them or we, you know, they went remotely for one and a half years here and it was fine. And the teachers did a great job. So uh, your, your schools didn't open for that one whole and a half year? years. Oh, one wow. and a half years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. One and a half years. And they were coming over here every day. I mean, they were, we were doing everything remotely. And again, the teachers did a great job. I, I really felt for them. But so what was your experience? Well, so in New York, um, they were closed for that first spring. And then they, you know, very tentatively and first that fall of 2020, they were open, like, you know, our school was open two days. They split the class in half. So we get two days on, two days off, and then like alternate Mondays. Um, and then actually, and then they kind of like ramped it up to, uh, you know, four days and then it was five days by the end of, by the end of the year, there were some closures now and again, but, um, that spring, uh, I guess of last year, uh, our school was open full time and we had, was Rafi confused by this? I have to imagine. He was very confused. I mean, he really like, you know, he's a real creature of habit. So he, yeah, it, it was, it was really hard for him. I mean, the, the, that zoom school, he was four when COVID. Yeah started so four and a half so and so he was in pre-k and our school i love our school but like they are really serious about academics they really did zoom school that spring you know and like we experienced a lot of shame around uh not being able to get rafi to do his homework right <laughs> he was four and a half we had a ton of fights you know i was like let's just get him to do the homework emily's like this is crazy he's four years old right. he can't do his homework stop it you know um that was really hard and he just couldn't sit through the zooms you know and our teacher was very charismatic and amazing but like she was just a little box on the computer right. and he just couldn't do it and you know that, that like we i kept trying to get him to do some of his homework like just like write his name but we gave up on the zooms you know, and then, yeah, and then having that kind of two days on, two days off was hard. I mean, we did end up kind of going in like a pretty decent pattern. And we, I mean, that was a really tough, that was a tough year for everybody. But yeah, I, yeah. Um, I mean, that was, you know, the nice thing about our school is that it was very committed to, you know, um, kind of working class parents of color, right? And they were like, we are going to be maximally open you know, for those parents, right? So they, it, like, right, actually in the fall of that year, they had a special, um, they, they, they had a different group for parents who were, you know, unhoused or, or um, in temporary housing or, or parents who were essential workers, like bus drivers and stuff. Yeah. And they would send their kids or nurses and they could send their kids five days a week from the start. So, um, yeah. And then I, I remember when, um, we finally, like school kind of finally opened up five days a week. And Rafi one day, like I picked him up and he was like, today was exactly what I expected it to be. Yeah. And he was just like so relieved, like that he just knew exactly, he like knew it was Tuesday and this thing was going to happen. And this was going to be the after school activity. And like, he was just so relieved by that. And I, it, I like at that point I realized how, I mean, I, I had noticed how difficult it was, but like I really understood just from him how important it was for him to kind of know his schedule and know what was going to happen and how difficult it was when when he didn't know. Um, you know, we also had like he had to wear a mask, which was really hard for him for a while. Yeah, like the feel like the like there would be it's a period where he would when he would only want to like wear one particular mask, so he'd have to wash it every night. Yeah, um, yeah. I, think, I mean, it was really hard on the kids. Um, yeah, I think everything you say, uh, I, I, my youngest daughter is eight. So it started when she was six and she adapted pretty well, actually. She, she, she can entertain herself and, and did pretty well. But for the older ones who were 11 and 12, when it started, they were just flummoxed by it. They, it yeah. really hit them. And, you know, one thing that happened That's is, is that, age, we, we, right? well, we kind of, well, there's that, but we also kind of sent the message to them that school's kind of optional. And so when it came time to go back, they were like, why should I go back? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like some people were like, oh, it's really, it must be really hard to have young kids. And I was like, yeah, but like, you know, like each age kind of would present its own challenge. Right? Yeah, that's right. Like, I think teenagers were really depressed, 
you know, by having a oh, kind okay, of that would have been horrible. Imagine yeah. being a senior and not right? oh yes, yeah, yes. horrible, <laughs> just horrible. Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't know, like you know, people, you know, like I feel like Rafi, you know, he had been obsessed with death, like right before COVID, that like, he was like turning four and just found death really interesting. Kept asking about what happens when you die. And then COVID happened. He kind of like didn't connect those things. And I was very relieved that he, he wasn't like super, yeah. we were freaked out, but like he wasn't that freaked out. Yeah. Um, Cause, and we told him right away, like actually like COVID doesn't, he called it King germ. So we would, we would say <laughs> King germ doesn't affect kids really. And I think that, I mean, which is true. Right. And like, yep. that was a real relief for us and for him. <laughs> so he wasn't that scared of it, but like just having a, you know, having to wear a mask for, for two years, right, and at, like at a at a young age, and I, mean, I, I, I kind of I feel like I we still don't really know like what effects it's going to have. Um, kind of That's my way. feeling too. I mean, we, we still have masks here in the schools, and yeah, uh, yeah we don't and, actually. We do, and mm-hmm. um, I don't think we have any idea the long term effect of this. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's like a giant experiment, yeah. and uh, not not one that I was particularly pleased with so mm-hmm. we've taken up a lot of your time how is rafi now how's he doing he's doing great <laughs> yeah, we're in this like we're in this odd moment of just he's just a great like i mean i you know he's still like sometimes you gotta you know he's like won't, won't get dressed in the morning you kind of gotta chivy him a little bit but um yeah he's going through this nice phase i'm almost like lulled into a false sense of security and i i'm like what's the when's the other shoe gonna drop yeah I, I would say this is absolutely true my I, again i have one that's eight and she's just in this great phase we're just like she's just so just just very pleasant to be around the older ones yeah. not so much because uh-huh. from their perspective you know adults are just people who mess with you <laughs> <laughs> and i get that i do but the, yeah. the eight-year-old is in a very pleasant place and was very yeah. glad to go back to school and, you know, yeah, really has lots of friends and plays and yeah. Yeah. Rafi, he's like, he's, uh, he's, he's old enough to like leave. Like he just had a play date yesterday where like we just dropped him off at a friend's house and they just yeah. took him for, you know, most of the day. That was amazing. He, he, he learned how to read from Animal Crossing and now he like picks up a book and just like sits yeah. there and reads it for fun. Yeah, that's great. Um, is amazing. It's just, um, yeah, and actually his brother now is starting to act up. Well, I can tell you from experience, <laughs> the other shoe will drop. Okay. And you'll be confronted with all kinds of this for the next book about Rafi because it, it uh, changes pretty appreciably. Um, and if you think you got angry when they were young, just wait. Uh, what age, what, what age are you, we're talking like 12, 12, 13, uh, 13, 14, 12, 13, yeah. 14. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. Right. Well, yeah. I, right. I, saw t- I saw a t-shirt that said, nothing frightens me. I have a teenage daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. I do. Yeah. Because wow. <laughs> okay. You know well, I, mean? I have a few years to kind of prepare myself. Yeah, and- you do. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, Keith, thank you very much for talking with us. Let me say that the name of the book we've been discussing is called Raising Rafi, The First Five Years. We've been talking to Keith Gesson, and it's out tomorrow, today being June uh, 6th, and it's tomorrow being tomorrow. June 7th. So it's out yeah. on June 7th. So you can go to your local bookstore or wherever you buy books and pick it up. Do it. All right. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> thank you.